Hey, it's good to be here with you this morning. If you have a Bible, I hope you do. You can begin to work your way to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 18 is where we're going to be. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going we're gonna to kick off a whole series through Exodus and work our way through. But as we continue in our series right now uh, through this series called Margin, uh, I just thought this scene in the life of Moses really speaks to what we want to get at here. And if you're just joining us, we, we kicked off this series a few weeks ago uh, called Margin. We want to uh, be intentional about how we live our lives, cultivating space to flourish. And we said life happens best in the margins of life, uh, that God desires for us to experience his presence and power when we make space uh, emotionally and relationally and work and financially and with our time. All these ways, it's, it's best to, to have that margin. Um, we also said that in, in our culture and in our own lives, we uh, try to take advantage of everything, live life to the limit. But when you live to the limit, you risk, uh, you risk wrecking. You, you risk going out of control. And so uh, a few weeks ago, I shared a story uh, coming into my neighborhood. Uh, there was a, a, a raccoon in the middle of the road. And, and because the margin was wide and my speed was such, we were able to get around the raccoon and, and it was, it, we got to laugh about it. But if you continue on that road about another quarter mile, uh, the, the shoulder goes away, it goes down to two lanes and, and it comes to a point where uh, it's a 90 degree turn. And so there's warning signs coming up, up to the turn. Uh, but, but that's not the thing that always strikes me in that moment. What strikes me is uh, that roadside cross. A couple years ago, a teenager, uh, teenagers were driving in a Jeep and they came around that turn in another car and rolled and the girl was thrown. And, and, and there's pictures and there's the teddy bears and there's the flowers. And every time I go by that, my heart breaks for that family. Breaks for the teenagers involved in that. Breaks for what, what, what a senseless, tragic accident that just too much speed, not enough margin, and, and the brokenness that that brings. And, and so I pray for that family. I pray for uh, all those that are involved. But I just think, man, man, I, I can't imagine as a, as a father of teenage d- drivers uh, what that would be like. But, but if you live your life to the limit uh, uh, in every area, if you, if you do that with your time, you're going to just live constantly anxious, constantly late, constantly uh, living for the urgent and not the important. If you do that, we saw in, in your moral margin, if you just say, how far can I go? How close can I get to the edge? Eventually, you're going to come to a point and you're going to go over and it's going to uh, do some damage, not just to you, but to those around you. Last week, we saw that if you have no financial margin, that, then you're going to be uh, enslaved, Jesus said, to the, to the ways of this world. Uh, your uh, bank account and your stuff and, and the uh, credit card companies and others are going to tell you how to live your life. And Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. You can call me Lord, but unless I'm Lord of all, I'm not Lord at all in your life. And so we saw just the importance of financial margin. And today I want to talk about uh, relational margin. Um, and, and I want to share by, by, uh, start by sharing a story of uh, the greatest relational margin challenge that, that we went through. Uh, it, it was about 19 years ago. Uh, we had gra- I was about to graduate from seminary. We were moving over to Okinawa, Japan as missionaries to work amongst the American military there. We had a six-month-old baby. That's all we had. And so you could put that baby in the backpack. And we hit the ground running. And we really had two full-time jobs. On, on the one hand, we had a contract with the Air Force Chapel 
to, to be on base and run their young adult ministry. Uh, we had a building on base. We uh, did Bible studies, hung out with them. We, we started a service on base, basically became the largest service on base. It became a, a large church very quickly. So we were running that. And then we off base, we were running a ministry where we'd have people every Friday night into our home, about 100 people. Uh, we, Jennifer would be cooking for them. We had a coffee shop that we ran. And then we'd do worship and I would preach there as well. And, and we loved it. We hit the ground running. It was full days. And as we were going on, in the first six months, something happened that should have been a, a warning light on the dashboard of our lives. We, were, we had a, a sister ministries. There was four of them in, in Japan. Two of them in the first six months had to be shut down because of marital unfaithfulness amongst the missionaries there. And we're like, what in the world is going on? Like, why would you destroy your family? Why would you destroy this ministry for the sake of uh, a moral uh, failure? Like, that, that, that should have been a red flag. And we, we just knew we didn't want to end up there, but I didn't know how someone ends up there. And so as we uh, continued on, uh, things got busier and busier, and, and that, that baby in the backpack eventually became a toddler that could to run her own way. And then Jennifer got pregnant again and had another baby, and that baby became a toddler who now they run in opposite directions. And, and then she's pregnant again, and um, she, Jennifer is beginning to pull back in ministry. Uh, she's still running women's ministry, but she's, she, she's just, she's got a lot on her hands. She's got a lot to deal with with her kids, but I'm still running hard. And uh, eventually, uh, Jennifer comes to me one day through tears, says, I'm exhausted, I'm fatigued, we, we, we can't keep running at this pace. I'm like, what are you talking about? We're doing, we're doing amazing stuff. This is the Lord's work. She's like, the, the dynamics of our family have changed, but you haven't changed along with us. And I was like, oh. And all of a sudden, that what I saw in those other marriages that had crashed in ministry didn't seem so much like an abstraction, but it seemed more like a destination. Like, oh my gosh, is this where we're going? Is this, is this what, what's going to happen? And, and I just remember feeling, feeling terrified in that moment. And I'm like, hey, let's quit. Let's move back to America. Let, let's, I, I don't care what we've worked for. I do not want to end up there. And, and thankfully, my wife is also wise. She's like, I'm not asking uh, us to throw everything away. I'm just asking you to be aware of your family and to make some changes. And, and so I uh, began to work through, through that. Well, well, today, as we talk about uh, relational margin, I want to talk about specifically about this, this tension, uh, maybe not just so much relational, but there's a tension uh, between our, our relationships and what we do with our time, and, and it, really all these areas, like uh, tension between uh, home life, uh, church life, work life, and it takes, it takes a lot to be able to balance those things well for the glory of God and the joy of all people. See, when we... Um, when we have responsibilities that only are, are meant for us and, and we shove them off onto our friends or our family or our, our children, it, it's like we come to them and we say, hey, I've got this burden. It's mine to bear, but, but I'm really busy at work. I, I've got a lot going on. Here, husband, here, wife, can you, can you just hold that for a while? Here, here, children, can you just hold this? And, and because they love us and they, they, want, they, they want to encourage us, they're like, yeah, we'll take that, Dad. We'll, we'll take that, Mom. And so we give them this burden to carry that they weren't meant to carry. 
but they carry it because they love us and they're, they're willing to do it. And, and so uh, we say, it won't be long. Don't worry. I'm just, there's just, just a busy season right now. But, but as time goes on, if, if you just keep letting them carry that, they get tired, more tired and more tired. And we check in on them. Like, how's it going with that burden? Uh, it, it's okay, dad. I got it. I'm sorry I missed that last thing. I'm sorry I wasn't present for, for that big thing. But, but, but it's coming. I'm going to be, I'm going to make up for it. I'm going to, we're going to, and you're always making a promise to the future. Like, don't worry. I know it's bad now, but we're getting somewhere. It's going to be better in the future. And they're like, we got it. We got it. And eventually we just keep checking in and we check in with our spouse. Well, you doing okay with that burden? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Well, I brought you some flowers. Well, I don't want the flowers because I'm carrying the burden right now, but, but thank you very much. And eventually, eventually through just the limits of our lives, through exhaustion, emotional, relational, or physical, they drop the burden. They drop the rock. And when the rock drops, you're like, well, what happened? All I said was, all I did was, what happened? And grades plummet and intimacy disappears. You feel the distance and it's more comfortable to be at work than it is to be at home because the rock has dropped. When we, when, we, when we put a burden that God meant for us to carry on our family, on our, 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 our children, it does damage. And eventually that rock is going to drop. Eventually it's going to have its effect. And, and, and I know none of us want that. None of us want to end up in that place. Uh, but if we just live to the limits of, of our lives and try to get the most out of our lives, that is a destination uh, that we're all headed to. And so today as we turn our attention to the uh, book of Exodus, Exodus 18, there's a story in the life of Moses that I think speaks to this. There, there's, there is this tension, Right? Because the deal is, if you were to go to work and, and do everything that needed to get done at work, uh, checked off all the boxes, made all the traveling arrangements, did all that you could to uh, climb the ladder and get the education, like you would never be able to come home, right? Because there's always more work to be done. In fact, if you did all that, your list of things to do at work wouldn't get shorter. It'd get longer because your boss, your, your company would say, man, this person is super high capacity. Let's just give them some more. Let's give them some more. Or you'd put that on yourself. You would never make it home. There's always more work to be done. And the same thing is true at home. Like if you were to go and say, okay, I'm going to just pour out all of the love and the affection in all the right and appropriate places. I'm going to do all the chores, check all the lists off of the honeydew list. I'm going to get on the floor and play with my kids. I'm going to read all the books and pray all the prayers. You would never make it to work. There's never going to be a moment where you're just playing with your kids after a couple hours and your son or your daughter is going to say, hey, Dad, this has been great that you played, but I've had enough. Why don't you go into work and knock some of that out for a while? Like, it's just not going to happen. So how do we live in that tension? Like, there is just more demand on both sides. And both are necessary, work and family, and both are God-given. And so how do we balance those things? That's, that's what I want to look at. And this is what I think this, this scene from the life of Moses speaks to. And we're going to see that there's a couple things necessary if we're going to do that. And, and we'll see that in the text. So if you have your Bible, uh, Exodus chapter 18 is where we're going to be at. 
Now, uh, again, we're going to go through this whole book uh, soon, but uh, just by way of summary, God has done amazing things, and he's chosen Moses to be the leader of his people and done amazing things in and through Moses. Just none of us have a higher workload, have, have more responsibility, and, and more at stake than Moses had. So we're all under, underneath Moses at this point, uh, but he's led the people. They're in the wilderness now. Now, chapter 17 should have been like that, that warning light on the dashboard of Moses' life. At the end of chapter 17, there's this battle between the Israelites and the Amalekites, and Moses prays, and as he's praying and lifts his hands, the, the Israelites are, are winning, but, but as he gets tired, because that's the whole thing we've said in this series, we are limited, we do have a, a finite amount of energy and space and strength, as he gets tired, his arms falter, and then the Amalekites start to win. And so the people around Moses see, hey, he's limited, he's not, he's not God, Let, let's hold up his arms for him. Let's give him a seat. And so they do that and the Israelites win the battle. But what, what Moses should have seen in that is, I can't do everything. I'm not God. But he didn't quite pick that up at this point. So in chapter 18, we, picked it, we pick it up in verse 1. It says, now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now look, look what happens in verse 2. We're going to have to read between the lines a little bit, but, but notice what's going on. It says, after Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. Again, at the, at the outset, we're not told why he does that, but we can guess. Moses has a lot to do. He's doing the Lord's work. And he's got so much. We're going to see he's got so much work to do. He probably comes to a point with his, maybe his wife comes to him in tears and like, Moses, what are you doing? And he's like, what do you mean what am I doing? I'm the leader of God's people. I have to do this. And maybe it's just best if you go back and spend some time with your family. So he sends his wife away. He sends his sons away. I don't know if they're crying as they're, they're walking away from their dad. And their dad's just like, I, I got to get to work. I got to get to work. And some time passes. We're, we're not told how much time is passing. Maybe it's a week. Maybe it's a month. Maybe it's a few months. But, but at a certain point, Jethro, the father-in-law, is like, hey, this isn't right. Let, let's go see what's going on. And he gets his daughter and he gets his grandsons back. And he says, we're going to go back and, and see your dad. So let, let, let's, let's go back and, and see your dad. Verse 5. Says Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. He's like, hey, I'm coming, so get ready. And so Moses is like, okay, well, uh, I need to clear my schedule. Uh, when they come, I, I, need to just, I, I need to make some time because I know I haven't really had a lot of time for my wife and my kids. And so he does that. And, and as we, if we were to continue, as they come, they have a, a great reunion and they have a, a feast. And, and Moses begins to just talk to Jethro about all the things God has done. And Jethro rightly uh, hears that and is like, wow. That's amazing. Like God did that and then that happened and then God used you and, and you lifted your arms and the sea parted and, and, and all the people of God went, yeah. And he's just telling them, like, look, look how, how amazing God is in and through me. And he's like, yeah, that's amazing. I, I praise God for that in your life. Yeah, clearly Moses, you, you got a lot. You got a lot going on. 
He's like, I do. I, I do have a lot going on. And so uh, as the night is, is rolling and it's getting later and later, we're not told this, but, but, but I imagine Jethro's like, hey, do, do you mind if I tag along with you to work tomorrow? And Moses is like, sure, that'd be great. But we'll have to get up early, like before the sun rises. I, I got a lot of work to do. Jethro's like, oh, that's okay. And, and it's going to take all day. Like, I just know we won't get through it all, but it's going to take all day. You, you, can, you can handle that old man? And he's like, yeah, let's, let's go. And so they go to sleep and, and just a couple hours pass and Moses comes and, and, and hits his father-in-law. He's like, it's time to go. And it's like, it's still dark out. And he's like, well, we got to go. And, and so he go, they go out into the middle of the camp and we pick it up in verse, let's see here, 13. It says, the next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. So, so Jethro goes out with Moses and Moses takes his seat and this crowd begins to gather and this line gets very long and everyone was coming uh, to Moses to, to see what God had to say through him for their lives. They had these disputes, they had these quarrels and, and Moses was dealing with each and every one and, and it says from morning till evening, from sunrise till sunset, there's no break, there's no break for lunch, there, it's just he's working and he's working and working and Jethro's just kind of taking it all in. Like, wow, yeah, you, you got a lot. You got a lot to do. Verse 14, when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to, to me to seek God's will. Because I'm doing God's work. Moses just felt the weight of responsibility, like not, not, not just for a family, but for the entire family of God's people. Like it's on me. He says, whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And at this point, I think Moses is expecting Jethro to be like, wow, you're right. If anyone just had a responsibility so great that you, you kind of have to neglect your family. It's you, Moses. Like, y- you've got a lot. Clearly, you're the one guy. And he's probably expecting Jethro to be like, man, I get it. I get it. I understand why you sent your, your wife and, and my grandchildren to me. So I, I'll, I'll bear that burden for you. That's probably what he's expecting Jethro to say. But that's not what Jethro says. Verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. And that had to shock him, right? Like, what do you mean? Who are, who are you to tell me that? Didn't, didn't you hear what I told you last night? All the things God was doing in, in and through me, all the things God was calling me to? And Jethro says, simply acknowledging the reality that all of us are limited. And he's also acknowledging the reality that, hey, Moses, God doesn't need you. And God doesn't need me to do his work. He sometimes invites us and he can use us, but he doesn't need any of us. You're not irreplaceable, Moses. In fact, if you don't make some changes, he will replace you. Look what he says in verse 18. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. You're limited. You're finite. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. You're not God, Moses. You can't do this. Maybe God has called you to lead his people, Moses, 
But that doesn't mean you do all the work. That's actually bad leadership where you just think it's all on you. And so he, in wisdom, like every, every Christian leadership book ever will come to this passage and be like, what you have to do is delegate and raise up other leaders. I get all that. He, he tells them all that. And, and Moses is, is listening and, and hearing the plan. And then, uh, in, then he's got a choice to make. Like, probably none of us in this room Whatever God has called us to, whatever work we have, whatever specialty we have, whether your, your work is in the home or it's in the office or it's in the firehouse or, or wherever, wherever you've been trained for, you've been called to, like, like for someone to come in and one day to observe you and be like, I, I know how you should do it better. You'd be like, mm, I, I, don't, I don't think you should talk. And if it's your father-in-law, right? Like your father-in-law comes and be like, I spent a day with you and here's what you need to do better. You're like, uh, no. Like that, that would be my, that would be my response. I, I'd try to tactfully be like, please stop. Please just. So, so Moses has a decision to make. He, he can hold on to his pride. Be like, no, you don't understand. I alone of all the people just have this call on God in my life and, and it's, it's sacrificing my family, but I'm, I'm here for the, the, all the people. He could hold on to pride, but maybe he sensed it already. Maybe he knew, I am limited. I am going to die. I, 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 I can't do everything. And so for, for us to find that balance between work and family and church and all these things, it takes, first of all, a humility. Like, like it takes humility to be like, okay, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I'm not seeing everything. And then it takes wisdom. Like, like, are you going to apply the wisdom that God has revealed to you? So it says, verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. I mean, for all that God had already done through, in and through Moses, for him to listen to his father-in-law, say, you know what, you're right. I'm going to go ahead and do that. And to walk in wisdom, I mean, that was the only way to restore some balance in his life. It says, he chose capable men from all Israel and, and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people all, at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided for themselves. They decided themselves. All of a sudden, Moses gets margin back in his life. He gets margin in his call from God, his work life. He gets margin in his home life again. This is why verse 27 is so telling to me and kind of hilarious to me. Verse 27 says, Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. What's telling for me is at the very beginning of the chapter, we're told that Moses is sending away his wife and his sons. And now he's sending away his father-in-law. He's restored some margin, some, some balance in his work life and family. And it's also hilarious to me because he's like, okay, you can leave now. <laughs> because no one needs their father-in-law around every day doling out advice, right? Amen? With no amen? Okay. Um, I know I wouldn't want that. He's like, okay, thank you. It's been very helpful. Go on your way. It's all good. It's all good. Well, as I was thinking about this and, and, and I thought a few years ago, uh, you know, of the things that God has called me and you to, only a few of them are unique to us. Well, like God has called me to be a pastor, but 
Other people are, can be pastors. And a day will come where I'm no longer pastor here. And he, he'll raise uh, other, other people up and, and they'll probably do a better job. So that's not unique to me. So I was thinking about what's unique to my life. Really only two roles. Husband, at least first husband to Jennifer. And father to my four daughters. These are the things that are totally unique to me. That, that God hasn't called anyone else to do. And I thought, man, I don't want to trade what's unique for me with, for something someone else can do, right? And so as, as I kind of thought about that, man, I, I, I want to prioritize my life that, yes, walk in my calling, do my work uh, in a God-glorifying way, but, but I want to be present for those moments. Because here's the deal, those moments, and we talked about this earlier in one of the messages, time moves forward whether you're ready for it or not. There's only one you know, first word that comes out of the mouth of the kid. There's only one first step. There, there's, you, you only get to be, have your first year of marriage for one year, whether you're ready for it or present for it or not. There's only one fifth anniversary. There's only one first recital, one first ball game, one last recital, one last ball game. There's only one time when your kids, one season of life where your kids are teenagers. And eventually they get driver's license and they drive away. And the question in that moment is, will we have lived our lives with enough relational capital and margin that when they drive away of their own free will, they drive back? I thought, yes, that's what I, that's how I want to live. I don't do that perfectly. I fail a lot in that, but, but at least that becomes kind of a, a north star for me. So, so here's the deal. Don't trade what's unique for you to you for something someone else will do. When, when Moses walked in wisdom, it wasn't that the work of God faltered. It wasn't that the thing that God called. It, it was just actually, it, it, it got better. There are probably things, even in your own work and your own calling, if you just had some wisdom, you could actually multiply the job and do less. Do the thing that God has called you to. So don't trade what's unique to you for something someone else will do. So how do we, how do we walk in that? How do, we, how, how do we make change? Well, we start to ask the question, what, what needs to change? Or, or a better question that you could ask uh, if you're single amongst your friends or if you're married with your spouse or if your kids are a little bit older and have this conversation. A question you should ask is, what's ideal? Like, like in this season of our life, what we're going through, what, what's ideal? And, and you just listen. And it, it may not be possible to immediately shift to all that, but you just start to ask the question, in this season, what's ideal for us? What does that look like to have that balance between our work and our life? What's ideal? So back to my story uh, in Okinawa as, as I'm thinking, oh man, we need to stop ministry altogether. I don't want to in there. Uh, we, we basically stopped and paused. She's like, I'm not asking us to, to throw away everything we've worked hard to get here. I'm just asking us to make some changes. And so we began to ask this question. Well, okay, well, what would be ideal given our current state of our children and all these things? And so we came up with a few things and we, they, they still kind of stick in our, our lives and, and different seasons mean different things. But we, we said, okay, uh, I'm going to only work 45 hours a week. Like, I'm going to cut it off at that. Like, because there's always more work to do. 
Okay, so what, what else? Well, let's prioritize having meals together. Let's prioritize our dinner time together around the table and not, not on the run and not, not in front of television. So we said, okay, we can do that. So let, let's prioritize me coming home and being home in time to put the kids to bed and to pray over them and to read to them and to talk to them. Again, I, I don't do this all the time and it doesn't always work this way, but it, it, we, we kind of know if we're in the same place. Let, let's, let's try to have meaningful family vacations together. And let's take one day a week where we guard that as a family day where we are intentionally pouring into each other's life. And so that's kind of been like a, a north star for us over these last 23 years of marriage. Like, are we doing these things? Are, are these things still happening? What does it look like differently? For us, that's how we answer the question, what's ideal? So I said there were two things that you need if you're going to have godly balance between work and life. You've got to have humility and you've got to have wisdom. But actually, even this morning as I was talking with my wife about this passage, she's like, actually, there's a third thing. <laughs> I'm like, well, what's that? She's like, there was a community that Moses was able to receive from. Uh, he, he invited Jethro to speak into his life. It's like, you know, that's right. And that's where the role of the church is. Do you, just like last week I said, every Christian, because uh, our, our hearts and our money are so tied together, every Christian should have at least one or two brothers or sisters that knows how that money flows in and out of a person's life. Every Christian should have one or two people that knows how that work-life balance is going and can speak into it and speak wisdom and truth and grace into your life. Do you have that? If you don't have that, we would just encourage you to be a part of a gospel community. And, and if you're part of a gospel community, be authentic and share your struggles. Have people pray for you. Have people speak grace and truth into your life. You can do that in a core group. Uh, my hope and my prayer for Redemption Parker is that we would be a people that are so for each other. So for uh, the things that God has called us to in the workplace. And so for our families that we are just constantly helping each other recenter our lives on that which matters most, for God's glory, for the joy of all people. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for your word to us this morning. Uh, I do pray, Lord, for humility, wisdom, and community for each of us. You know, Lord, where we have handed off responsibilities that were meant for us to carry. And so, uh, Lord, I just pray today that there would be good conversation. There would be grace in those moments. There would be evidence of your spirit to just realign our lives to that which matters most so that we might have margin and experience your presence and your power in these areas of our life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.